Well, I hope you have your Bibles with you, and if you do, be finding Hebrews chapter 12. But the verse that I want you to look at, first of all, is the verse that is on the screen, and it says a song of ascents. Song of ascents is a song that they would sing as they were ascending to Mount Zion, Jerusalem, to go to the temple to worship. As they neared the city and they were climbing the hill up toward Jerusalem, this is a song of David that they would sing. So anytime you see in your Bibles where it says a song of ascents, that's what it's talking about. Going up to worship to the city of Jerusalem and to the temple. And so here's what it says. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How many of you are glad to be here this morning? Look at the person next to you and say, are you glad? Then tell your face. Make sure you look glad coming to the house of the Lord. Make sure your expressions are expressions of gladness. We get to meet together and worship the Lord. Well, that, that brings another question. Are you a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ? He says there's a difference between being an attender and being a worshiper who's coming to gather to worship. As believers, we can be glad worshipers. Worshippers who are happy and content in the Lord and therefore glad and excited about coming together to worship. Now that the Winter Olympics have begun, a lot of you might be tuning in to some of your favorite sports like curling and uh, some of those other things. I thought that was French fries. I didn't know what that was at first. Curling. You know, we get to what I, I tell you what, I started getting excited about that. Watching those things slide down there, you know, and watching them clean house with the broom. Or whatever that is. I don't even understand the game. I just know it's, it's kind of neat. But you know, a study was done by a professor at Northwestern University on the medalists of the Olympics. And what she discovered was that although uh, gold medalists would win and have all this hype around them and they get endorsements and, and contracts and make some money because they were a gold medalist, you know, they get on the box of Wheaties or whatever the major cereals are today, although they get to do that, the truth is they weren't necessarily the happiest about it. It was somewhat short-lived. It really became complicated. All the contractual agreements, all the obligations, all the publicity can get very discouraging at times, and depression added another aspect to their life. They were glad with all that, excited about all the fame and some of the fortune that they might receive. But then when it, when it all calms down, they're depressed. Where's all the hype that I enjoyed for a while, even though it frustrated me? Where's it all gone? And they said silver medalists were the least happy. Why were the silver medalists least happy? They were least happy because they could not get it out of their head how they almost won the gold. Gold medalists were happy for a season, but then they went into depression. The silver medalists just stayed in depression. I could have made it. I was that close. Now no one knows my name. You'd think you could be worse off. You could be the bronze medalist, right? She found the bronze medalists were the happiest of the three. You'd say, why? Who knows the last bronze medalist in curling? Nobody knows. Who won the last uh, bronze in long jump? No one knows. We don't know. What she found was that bronze medalist said, I was just happy that I got to stand on the platform because I almost just didn't make it. I almost went home without a medal at all. So I was just so excited. And so they've gone their life excited that they were a medalist in the Olympics. They didn't have to deal with the ups and downs that the others had to deal with. They were the most happiest of the three. 
I want to tell you, I hope that you're a, a glad worshiper this morning. Like I said a while ago, I'm telling you what, if, if there's such a thing, I just barely made it in. I don't know about you, I, I was a sinner. And I just made it in. When God called me, He saved me. What a wonderful thing happened in my life. And my life's never been the same, but I can look at it and say, oh, I, if there was somebody that just made it in, it was me. So I, I want to be a happy worshiper. I want you to be a happy worshiper. I want you to be glad when you come to the house of the Lord. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm just going to add this to the sermon on show, uh, the Show Up series. And we're just going to call this one Show Up and Worship. Don't just show up to be together, but show up in worship. Because it's important that we come and that we worship together. But also, we need to know some reasons why we can be excited about it. So I'll give you a couple of those reasons in uh, this sermon. Well, the context of this passage is that many of the people who were saved came out of the Jewish faith. You know, the apostles took the gospel to the Jews. The intent was that the Jews would be saved. When the Jews began to reject it, some of the apostles were called to go to the Gentiles. Well, this is written primarily to the Jews. Those Jews, actually, who did receive the message. They received the gospel. They, they took it upon their own selves, their life. And they turned to Jesus, but now they've come to this place in their life, perhaps like you may have done, and I know that I have done in past years, early on, they come to this place in their life where they're wavering. They're wavering with who Jesus really is. They're wavering with their commitment to the Lord in this way. Is Jesus enough? Do I need to do anything else? And some of the ways that they're wavering is they start adding to what they must do in order to be righteous before God. And what they were struggling with is they're wavering with going back to Judaism and saying, I must keep the feasts. I must make the sacrifices. I must be part of those things that in accordance to Old Testament law that were required, even though I've turned to Jesus, now I'm beginning to doubt that he's enough that he really did the once for all work on the cross. Because these Jews had relied so long on keeping that Old Testament law with its sacrifices, its ritualism, its regulations, its festivals as a mean of obtaining and holding righteousness, they were beginning to doubt that Jesus alone was enough. So Hebrews is written to remind these, I'll just call them at-risk Jewish believers, to remind these Jewish converts of the grace that comes by believing in Jesus alone and that he fulfilled that Old Testament law up against what they learned through Moses about the law and keeping the law. Now they just need to stand in Jesus. So let's read this together and you consider those things that I'm talking about and consider what this context is. Hebrews 12, let me just read a few verses beginning in verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, now he's quoting the scripture. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Now I want you to underline in your Bible, if you've not done it already, in verse 21. 
and you have not come to that. That's important to understand in this passage. You've not come to that. And so what we're getting to in this passage in Hebrews, first of all, if you're a note taker, just put this down. Through worship, when we come to worship, we're reminded that God is real. I hope you'll just add another word to that. We're reminded that God is real and God is holy. That's really what this is about, the holiness of God. God has put everything in place to keep you and I from backsliding. Did you know that? God has put everything in place to keep us from sliding back, from wavering in our commitment, from doubting the things of the cross, what Jesus did. God's put all this in place to prevent that from happening. One of the things that He has put in place is corporate worship. What we're doing right now, coming together to worship the Lord, God put that in place through Jesus and He established that to prevent us from wavering in our commitment, to strengthen our lives, to hold us to Himself, to help keep us strong. So this writer in Hebrews, he makes a comparison to the days of Moses as God would call the people to a time of consecration and to wait as Moses would meet with God on Mount Sinai. You can read more fully about that maybe this afternoon if you go to Exodus chapter 19. But much of what is said there in Exodus 19 is stated right here. It's just kind of paraphrased, not really paraphrased, just condensed down here in Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll talk just a little bit more about that here in just a moment. But Scripture commands that we assemble together for worship. As members of a local church, we, we find us a local church wherever we go. If you leave here, you're to find another church somewhere wherever you move to. If you can't worship here, you find a church where you can worship. Let me tell you what my experiences have been. My experiences through 17 years of full-time pastoring has been this. When people leave a church, they are less likely to go to another one. That tells me it's not really about the church. It's about their commitment to the Lord. It's about the worship in their heart. Because you see, if, if I don't feel like I can worship with a local body right here and right now, let's say it's First Baptist Church of Garrison, and I just feel like maybe a decision was made and I just can't worship there anymore, then I ought to be somewhere else next Sunday. Because that's what the Scripture says we're to do. We're commanded to do that. We're commanded to worship. God has put that in place to keep us from falling and failing and stumbling and, and drifting away. It's the body of Christ. And people who are saved and born again, they want to be around people of like-minded fellowship. They want to worship. They want to serve. They want to serve the Lord together. So God commands us to do that because the truth is there may be times where we just don't want to show up. We just don't want to show up. Maybe we don't feel good. Maybe we're just tired. Maybe somebody kind of got to us during the week. But where do we need to be? How do we get all that fixed up? We come and we worship together. Worship really breaks down a lot of barriers when we come and we meet together. Acts 2.46 says, Luke tells us, he said they met together in the temple to worship daily. They met together in homes. They ate together, they fellowshiped together, and they met together to pray with one another. And listen to how he concludes his statement there in Acts chapter 2. He says, they praised the Lord together with gladness of heart. Gladness of heart. That's why I ask you all, are you a glad worshiper? There ought to be gladness in your heart when you come to worship. 
Coming together to worship as believers and staying actively involved is so important. It's not for the kids. All right? Man, I'm telling you, church is not a drive-by institution where you drive by and drop the kids off. In fact, Crystal and I, I hope you don't run us out of here for this. There were times people would visit our church and we'd say, really, they came? Yeah, but it was a drive-by. Listen, a drive-by is a bad thing, right? People get hurt when there's a drive-by, right? Let me tell you who's getting hurt when there's a drive-by. The entire body of Christ. When you drive by and you drop your kids off and you go to Walmart and buy your groceries, that's what, that's what we dealt with a lot. They're Nacogdoches. You're not helping anybody and you're not helping yourself and you're not helping the body of Christ. You're to be actively involved in a local body, a worshiping body. Coming together and worshiping, staying actively involved is important simply because there's a lot of life that happens between Sundays. Amen? I mean, a lot of stuff can happen. You need to be with the body of Christ. You're being influenced by the world every time you exit these doors. You need the influence of worshiping together with other believers. You're going to have ups and downs in your life. You need to be reminded that God is real, that Jesus is real, that your salvation is real, and that God's in control and He's put everything under Jesus' feet. You need to be reminded of those things. So we come to worship together because of who He is and because He is holy. So number two, we through worship, not only are we reminded that God is real, through worship we meet with God. We meet with God through worship. It was on Mount Sinai that God communicated with Moses. He gave him the Ten Commandments and the Law. That's where you go back to Exodus 19. And then when you read down through there, you, you'll find that he, he describes the scene really well here in Hebrews chapter 12. He gave evidence of His presence to Moses and to the people through the cloud that covered the mountain. He said, I'm going to cover the mountain with my presence as of a cloud. And he sent thunderings and lightning. The Bible says the mountain shook. It shook. It rumbled. And all the people down below knew about it. And God summons Moses up onto the mountain. Do you think at that moment Moses is really excited about going up on the mountain? Lightning, thunder, earthquaking going on, all of this. Now, Moses, you come. Let me tell you what God said before that. He said, don't let anybody come touch the base of the mountain. He said, put barricades around there. I want you to consecrate the people for two days. Don't do normal, everyday routine. This is about getting ready to meet with me. And Moses, you're going to come up and see me. So he said, put barricades around. He said, don't let any... He said, if an animal touches it, it'll be killed. If a person touches the base of the mountain. What was God teaching them? He was teaching them about His holiness. He was teaching them about worship. And so God's just saying, don't do this, but do this instead. Consecrate yourselves instead. But don't come too close lest you die. And so then he invites Moses to come on the mountain. I'm like, oh, poor Moses, man. How nervous could he have been coming up to meet with God? But he went and he met with God and he received the law of God. Then you get into Exodus chapter 20. You have the Ten Commandments that he gives to the people. So he required that they purify themselves. But just imagine if this were the scene today. We can be thankful to read in verse 18. 
For you have not come to this mountain. Speaking of Mount Sinai. You've not come there. You don't have to be afraid of drawing into the presence of God and drawing close. You don't have to be afraid of God speaking to your heart, your life. Yes, He's still holy. He's the same God that He was before. But you don't have to be afraid of His holiness. You just revere His holiness. Not out of that kind of fear and being afraid of Him, but out of respect for Him and who He is. He said, you haven't come to Mount Zion. Instead, if you were to jump down to verse 22, which we'll do here in a moment, you'd read, he said, you've come instead to Mount Zion. So you can just draw you a little line and an arrow from verse 18 down here to verse 22. You've not come to the mountain Moses had to come to. Praise God for that. You get to come to Mount Zion. What's Mount Zion? It's the place where Jesus was. Mount Zion is talking about the gospel. Mount Zion is talking about Jesus who died and was buried and who rose again and who gives us His grace and forgiveness of sin through faith. That's who He is. And that's where you come to. So Mount Zion represents Jesus in the gospel. But I'll tell you this, one thing for sure, coming to Mount Sinai, as Moses had to do, it wasn't boring. And I hear from so many people, church is boring. Brother Crispin, I don't come, it's just so boring. Church is boring. Mark Twain wrote about a church service that Tom Sawyer went to. He had to go with his Aunt Polly one time. And so, it, it, you know, he's going to church. They, just, they went to Sunday school. Then they went to the worship service after Sunday school because Aunt Polly made him and forced him to go. After Sunday school was over, they went into the sanctuary and for that worship service, they were sitting there, he says, under the watchful eye of Aunt Polly. Tom describes the service. First, he said, the list of announcements were so long they could stretch to the crack of doom, he said. The prayer, he said, was generous in its details to the point that he resented any new additions to it because it went on and on He described the preacher's preaching saying, He drones on monotonously through an argument so prosy that many a head begin to nod. Basically, he's saying, church is boring. That was the most boring place I've ever been. He's saying people were held captive. They weren't there to be engaged. They They were there. They were held captive. They were like in a prison. So he saw it as something that people were having to endure instead of something they were willfully engaging in. You know what? A lot of people say that today. They say, I don't want to go to worship. I don't want to go to church. Church is boring. But I want to tell you, if we'll meet together with the intent of worshiping God, if you'll come with the intent of saying, I'm going to go there, I'm going to declare His glory today, look, it's different than just showing up. We show up and we worship. But we prepare our hearts. Just as the people prepared themselves Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, they prepared their hearts to go and stay at the base of the mountain and look and notice the presence of God being there with Moses going up on that mountain. They did what God said. They prepared their hearts. And if we'll come and we'll say, well, you know, maybe there's some things that take place that I just... I don't get, so that part gets a little boring. I tell you, though, if you'll say, I'm going to hear from God, my heart is in tune to God, I desire to hear from Him, I want to learn something from the Scriptures, I want to learn something and be able to apply it to my spiritual life, when you come with that kind of heart and attitude, 
you will find something because He will teach you something. Amen? He'll do that. When God came to Jacob through the angel of the Lord, it wasn't boring. He was forever changed physically and spiritually. And physically because the angel of the Lord broke his hip or popped it out of socket and it never healed. Jacob walked with a limp the rest of his life because God wanted him to remember his encounter with him. God was the angel of the Lord. He wanted him to remember. And I'm telling you, God wants, uh, God wants to remind us that He's real and that He wants to change us forever. When Moses encountered the presence of God from out of the burning bush, that was no boring matter. He took off his shoes for the place where he stood was holy, the Bible said. It was an encounter with God that he never, ever forgot. And I want to tell you, think back when you came to Christ. Maybe you were a young child and you say, well, I put my faith in Christ, I know then. But there was probably another time subsequent to that where you really understood what it meant to be saved. And joy filled your heart at that moment. Others got saved later in life. I went to church my whole life. Didn't get saved till I was 23. I mean, we were there on Wednesday night. We were there Sunday morning. We were there Sunday night. We were at every youth group meeting. I was lost as a goose till I was saved in my last year in college. And, and God changed my life. And I will tell you, joy filled my heart. I realized what I had. I realized what was different. He changed my life. He broke my spirit and gave me a new spirit. Amen? God does that. And when you come to Christ, it's not boring. You're saved. Your sins are forgiven. You become glad and you rejoice in your heart. But here's what I'm getting at with that. Don't let that change. Why does that have to change with us? I'll tell you why it changes. We start coming to church because it's a thing to do. Our friends are there. Mom and dad are there. Grandma, Papa, they'd be disappointed if I didn't show up to church. And the kids need it. They can, no. They do, yes. You need it. You need to worship together. You need to rejoice in the joy of your salvation and never, ever, ever forget why you're here. So we have this awesome privilege of coming into the presence of God without fear, having Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant whose blood was shed on the cross, having covered our lives and forgiven us. It's through Him that we enter the presence of God by faith. Through Jesus, by faith. We're going to look at that verse here in just a moment, but I want you to recognize something. Worship is significant. You worshiping from the heart is really a bigger thing, I think, than what we see sometimes. But worship is significant even without pomp and pageantry. Worship is significant whether it's like today, where we came and I led you through music, bless your hearts, we came... It wasn't about me. It was a song that you sang. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. It's not about who's leading. Teresa played and you, you enjoyed that. Some of you recognize the song that she played and it lifted your spirits. It wasn't about Teresa. It was about the Lord by the Holy Spirit lifting your spirits. Why? You were encouraged by the words to a song even though it was in music. They're just instrumental. You were encouraged by that. Some of you went to Sunday school. You were encouraged just meeting together with other people. You're reminded that God is real and that your faith is in Him and what you have by being in Him. You're reminded of all those things. And there, was there any pomp and circumstance today? No. Did we have a great uh, uh, quartet come sing? No. And boy, don't we love those though. Uh, quartet, uh, a big contemporary praise band. I love that too. We didn't have that today. 
Did we parade in with a big orchestra? Brilliant flags full of color declaring who he is. Those things are wonderful too. Banners. Sometimes you go to church and you see banners declaring uh, the things of the Lord. And it just fills your heart with praise. Did we have that? We didn't have that. Pomp and pageantry don't always have to exist in order to worship. When those things are done, there's worship from the heart. They're wonderful. And there's a place for them. But it doesn't always have to be that. So often we desire to see thunder and lightnings of a different kind. We like that pomp and that pageantry. Something to gratify our human senses. Sometimes we're looking to have our human senses gratified. If it does, then we are prone to say, we worship today. Why? Because our senses were gratified. But if it doesn't happen, sometimes we say, I just didn't feel like I worshiped. My question is, did you come to the mountain? And did you come, and before you came in here, did you, did you consecrate yourself unto the Lord? How about all week long? Did you get out of bed and you say, Lord Jesus, I'm private such and such, reporting for duty. My heart is toward you and the things about you, and I'm going to live for you and I'm going to serve you. And when, I, when Sunday comes around, I'm going to worship. I'm going to sing songs of praise to you whether i got a good voice or not. I mean, that's what we come for. We consecrate ourselves and we come to Him. We don't come to Mount Zion and say, though, I've got to do this list and I've got to fulfill this list. I'm not Mount Zion, Mount Sinai. We don't do that. He said, you haven't come there. Instead, you recognize the privilege that you have in Christ. You look to Him and you say, Lord Jesus, truth is, I, I want to consecrate myself to you. But the only thing I can do is give myself to you just as I am. Purify me. Cleanse my heart. Make me right. Help me to know what I have in you, Lord Jesus. And you show up and you worship. Or you worship right there where you are. It's inadequate to look at worship as something that must gratify our human senses. Because worship isn't about us being gratified. Worship is about what we give to him our lives our praise and our worship and our adoration so worship done in spirit and in truth is part of a much bigger picture now look at verse 22 with me in hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 he says here we go again you haven't come to mount sinai like moses had to and the people had to where there's fear and all of this stuff going on, thunderings and lightnings and fear being drawn into the presence of God. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Let me just stop right there, okay? He's saying now, this is in the Spirit. You've come to Mount Zion. Look at the words that he uses here. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, what's that? He's talking about where the Lord Jesus is, where the throne of God is. The Lord Jesus is there, and we can come into God's presence through the mediator, Jesus Christ, our high priest. We come into His presence. He even asks us to, to come in prayer. We come in to Him through the presence of Jesus Christ. We're in the presence of God. And He says, not just that, you've come to this heavenly Jerusalem, in, this, in the spiritual realm of things, to an innumerable company of angels. Angels worship God. Angels serve Him. They worship Him. Verse 23, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Who are they? 
saints who went before us. That's who those people are. The general assembly mixed with angels. They're there. They're in the presence of God. The church of the firstborn. Those who are already there. Who are registered in heaven. I like that. You know, your name is registered in heaven. Your name is registered in the Lamb's book of life. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, your name is registered there. Some folks have just beat you there, right? And you're coming into to God, the judge of all, he says. To the spirits of just men made perfect. And then he says in verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now we're going back to Genesis, Cain and Abel. Abel, he brought the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. He brought a sacrifice to God. He said, this, this is the blood of sprinkling. It speaks of better things than that kind of sacrifice. What was that kind of sacrifice? It was the Old Testament law. It came through Moses. So he said, this is better. You've come to Jesus. And I want to tell you, there's much more to worship than what we're doing right here, right now this morning. Through worship, we are, it's, it's like we're supernaturally joined with angels that are worshiping the Lord and those who have gone before us who are there already. We're meeting with God through Jesus, our mediator and high priest. So Abel speaks of the sacrifice of blood. Jesus speaks of the sacrifice of his own blood. The once for all sacrifice. Man, how glorious it is. Therefore, we must never be guilty of demanding our senses be met, demanding performance. We shouldn't be guilty of that. When we come before God, it's a, it's a heart issue. We come to encounter the glory and the presence of God through the risen Christ so that we might leave here changed and renewed, changed and made different than when we came in. We show up having a heart that's prepared and desires to worship God and wants to hear from God. Not once pomp and circumstance, not once pomp and pageantry, not, not once all that stuff to say, I'm satisfied. I love the old song, I'm satisfied with Jesus. But the question comes to me when I think of Calvary, is my Jesus satisfied with me? And we come to church, we say, well, was I satisfied? Well, it was okay. No, is God satisfied with you? That's why we come. Because we want to satisfy Him, not be satisfied by everybody else and what's going on. So we come together, we just say, I'm going to show up, I'm going to worship. I'm not going to show up and worship people. I'm not going to show up and worship things. I'm not going to show up and worship a facility. I'm not going to show up to do all those kinds of things and to expect my heart to be stimulated by everybody else, by what I want. Instead, I want my heart supernaturally stimulated, strengthened, encouraged by the power of the Holy Spirit because I encountered God. I will show up in love. I will show up and serve. And I will show up and I will worship and I will do it with gladness of heart and count it a privilege that God saved me and put me in the body of Christ. That's what it means to worship.